I, I really enjoy having these little kids come up here, but that is a tough act to follow for sure. Well, uh, we've been talking about Feast uh, for several weeks now, off and on. Uh, we still have our table up here to remind us of the Feast. And Now, I said from the beginning that when we started this study, it would look a little different and sound a little different than, than the typical sermon that we would have on a Sunday morning. Of course, what's typical around here when we put kids in freezers and do other things like that. But we're talking about feast, and I did say I wanted this from the beginning to be very interactive. So I'm curious, how many of you have actually been paying attention over the last few weeks? So I'm going to quiz you. How many Jewish feasts uh, were talked about in Leviticus 23 that the Jews observed throughout the years? Does anybody remember? Seven. Okay, there are seven of them. All right, some of you have been listening or you're thinking, oh, he asked for a number. Seven has to be a number because it's biblical. Now, either seven or 40, it's one of the two, right? Okay, so how about this? What was the first feast that was observed? Does anybody remember that? It's the Passover. All right, Louise knows that. We have not talked specifically about the Passover because I want the first to be last. It's one that's very special. Uh, it's one we're going to uh, reference today, and it's something that was very important in the life of Jesus, the Passover. But that took place first, and right after the, uh, the Passover feast, I won't ask for this one because we hadn't talked about it, but it rolls right into the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And we're going to spend some time talking about that when we hit the Passover. After that was the, the first feast that we talked about, that ran concurrently, at, consecutively, at the same time with the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And that was the Feast of what? The Feast of First Fruits. Okay, somebody is listening. This is really exciting. And they had the First Fruits and they were to serve as a reminder that even when that was instituted in the desert, before they had a land to plant, that God said, the first is going to belong to me. And it was at that first fruits, just a few days after Passover, that the first fruits would have taken place on Nisan the 17th, which would have been the day that they uh, crossed the Red Sea that God had parted for them. And God said, I'm going to take care of you. You just have to trust me. And we're going to have this feast of first fruits. So then, last week... Does anybody remember what we talked about? The Feast of Weeks. And for those of you who don't know Hebrew, then we are in the same boat together. But I did look up that word, and I don't know how it reads in Hebrew. It's from right to left, but it's pronounced Shabuot. And Shabuot is what we talked about last week. That was the Feast of Weeks, and that was translated in the, in the Greek. What is that word? Does anybody remember? It's a word we're all familiar with. I'll give you one little hint. This is a big hint. Acts chapter 2, Pentecost. Remember the Feast of Weeks was seven weeks, okay? And then one day, because it wasn't on the Sabbath, that was the Feast of Weeks. That was 49 days plus one, 50 total days, Pentecost, which meant 50. And that was a time where we're very familiar with what took place in the New Testament. So we've been talking a lot about feasts lately. And one of the reasons why we believe God called His people to participate in feasts 
because it allowed them to stop and to remember. And we talked a lot about that, is that when you gather around a table, whether it be for Thanksgiving, uh, maybe it's a, a time where you have a reunion with some friends, maybe it's an opportunity that you're celebrating Christmas, you gather around the table, and before long you start telling stories of what happened. Do you remember when? And this was exactly why God had instituted these feasts, because He wanted His people to sit down and say, Do you remember when? Do you remember when we were in Egypt? And the kids would say, We weren't in Egypt. Tell us, Dad, what was it like? And the dad would say, well, let me tell you about these plagues that came upon all these Egyptian people. And we, the Israelites, were not touched by them. And they would recount all the different plagues. And the kids would say, ooh, really? That many frogs? And they would talk about those different plagues. And they would reference them and they'd say, you know what? When we were in Egypt, the Egyptians, they had all these gods. And they had had the the sun god. And you know what our God did? Our God said, you think you have a sun god? Well, let me tell you something. I'm going to blot out the sun because I'm the one true God. And they would say, and then we had the Passover feast and then we were led out into the desert. And the kids would say, what was that like to be in the desert? How did you get something to drink? And the father would say, let me tell you about this. We were in the desert and God allowed us to have water that flowed from a rock. What did you eat? I mean, there's only sand out there. What did you do? Well, God gave us this quail and, and he gave us manna. And they would say, manna, what is that? And the actual word manna means, what is that? And they would say, we had this, and we would collect it. But what about on the Sabbath? Are you supposed to collect it on the Sabbath? No, 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 no. You collected enough the day before for the Sabbath. But don't get too much. You get just enough because you know that God is going to take care of you even in the desert. And so these feasts were an opportunity to open up a dialogue, to remind the people who had participated and to pass on to those who hadn't the greatness of our God. But that's not the only thing that takes place at a dinner table, is it? A lot of times we reminisce, but before long, it turns into, well, what does that mean for us today, and what are we doing? And so for a few minutes, I just want to talk about John chapter 13. I think most of you are familiar with John chapter 13. It's just one of the most powerful passages in the whole gospel of John. And we love John 3.16, but John 13, that's where it's at. The Passover feast was about to begin, and Jesus, knowing that his time had come, wanted to show them the full extent of his love. And I love how John chose to use that, because I'm thinking when the Son of God is about to show his, the full extent of his love, he's about to lavish them with this amazing gift, and he does. 
but it was a different one. He took off his outer robe, he wrapped a towel around him, and he went around to his disciples, even Judas, and he washed their feet. He got to Peter, and he says, I'm going to wash your feet. And Peter says, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus says, yes, I am, or you will have no part of me. And what does Peter say? Give me a bath. Wash all of me. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You don't need a whole, you don't need a bath. Though some of you do. You don't. You just need to have your feet washed. Why did he do this? Was this simply an act of humility? Was this because their feet were really dirty and he didn't want to lay next to someone with dirty, smelly feet? Because remember, they didn't sit at the table. They reclined at the table. Was this a hygiene issue? This is a real question now. Why would Jesus wash their feet? Service? To show that he's a servant? Why would he wash their feet? That's right. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, because that is what I am. And because I am your Lord and teacher, and I have washed your feet, you are to do the same. This wasn't just about the past. He was preparing them for the future. He's going to go on. We have chapter 13. Uh, In chapter 13, we're going to have where he's going to predict his death. And he's going to have this dialogue and he's going to say, the one who dips uh, uh, in at the same time, that's the one who's going to betray me. Judas is getting up and he says, go do what you need to do. And then he's going to tell Peter, oh, by the way, you're going to deny me. Chapter 13, chapter 14 jumps in, and then we're going to get more and more of these commands before he gets to his prayer in 16 and 17. But one word we see over and over again in in chapters 14 and 15 is this word obey. He's saying, I'm not going to be with you forever. Let me prepare you. I'm going to send my spirit, and he's going to help you. And he's going to talk about preparing a place for them. And Thomas says, well, can we go there? And this is where we get beautiful uh, verse of uh, chapter 14, verse 16. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. And he says, you have to obey. It's not just about the past. It is about the present and the future. When we gather around the table, we talk about what's going on. This morning, we're going to take a little bit of a a diversion. We're not going to be talking about any of the the feasts. We've covered some of them already, and we'll continue on in next week. But today, as we gather around the table, we want to talk about the future. Well, maybe not prophetically talking about the future. But as a family would sit around at a table and talk about what's going on, as a team would gather in a huddle to find out what the next play is going to be, that's what we're going to do this morning. This is going to be somewhat logistical, but it's going to be very practical. There are a lot of things that are taking place in 2017 with the Taylor Street Church of Christ. And our greatest hope is that the Lord is involved in every, every aspect of that. 
there are going to be some things that we talk about this morning and on into Bible class that you're going to be like, wow, I know exactly what I can do in that ministry. There's going to be some that you say, I don't know how I'm going to participate in that ministry. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. But one thing that's coming up in the next few months, we're going to be going, uh, I believe it's July the 8th, is that we are going to plan, we are planning already to to, uh, go to Tuba City, Arizona. If you don't know anything about Tuba City, you're just like me. I don't know anything about Tuba City. But we have brought in an expert in that field, someone who has been to Tuba City, and they're going to talk about it. And you're saying, well, why are we talking about a mission trip? For those of you who have been on a mission trip, for those of you in some way who have supported someone who's been on a mission trip, maybe you've prayed for someone who's gone on a mission trip, These are life-changing events in many ways. And what we learn on a mission trip can impact what we do when we go back home. I would love to tell you about trips to Mexico and the Philippines and uh, Seattle, some places that I've been that have greatly impacted my life. And those are things that took place while we were on a mission trip. And so this this church, the elders uh, have have decided that we're going to plan a trip uh, to Tuba City. One more thing I want to say before I invite my friend up here to share a little bit about Tuba City is this. Sometimes we think mission trip equals youth group activity. And we are making it very clear this is not a youth group activity. We're going to have some youth go. But we're going to have some people who would never be called youth in almost any setting. We want this to be a church event, and we want you to either go, or we want you to somehow participate in us going by supporting us, and we want you to pray for us as we plan this out, because we believe this is going to be something that's really exciting for our people. So, I can't tell you about the ins and outs of Tuba City, but we have a friend here who can. Um, He's really from all over the place, although right now uh, he's, he works uh, with the church uh, in Odessa at Sherwood, although he's doing some work uh, with an elementary school in Lampasas, and so he's doing some commuting while he and his wife are, she's trying to get their youngest son graduated uh, from school, and so they're, they're doing some here and there. I, I will say something really interesting. They're, they're about, what, six hours apart? They said depending on who drives. Uh, and so we had invited them up here, uh, and I, I asked Roger, I said, Roger, is your son coming? And, and he says, well, my wife and I don't get to see each other very often, and, and, and we decided that we were just going to have a little rendezvous in Hobbs, New Mexico. So what a special place. It's an opportunity for them uh, to be together, and we're going to hear about that. Uh, but Roger has been to Tuba City, uh, and he's going to come and talk on behalf uh, as an adult, who's been on there, and how we can all participate. He's got a few pictures to show us. I hope you're really excited about him. So I'm going to ask Roger if you would come up and share with us, wow, about a place that has green grass and a rainbow. All right. Okay, Roger, take it over. I don't know if you can say they have green grass. It's it's, it's the Painted Desert. They're right outside the painted, Painted Desert. Matter of fact, I think half the city is in one time zone, while the other half is in another time zone. While we're there, I kind of appreciate Doug calling me old a while ago. 
saying not so young because I'm, I'm almost 50. And um, I have always enjoyed doing things with my kids. Um, but the one thing I have enjoyed the most, when we moved to Odessa, the, one of the first things that we did was go to Tuba City, Arizona. The young man who's there grew up. as an, He's an Indian on the reservations. His, he even took me out to his house. It took two hours to get out to his house from Tuba City where his parents still live. A lot of those people live with no running water and no electricity. That's the way he grew up. And so when we go out there, we try to do a lot of things to help the community there. Um, the young man, his name's Eric and his wife Tracy, um, again, he had only been there one year. And so our second year we were there, he had things working like a well-oiled machine. They, I don't know if you saw that while ago, but on the left and right, they had these little huts. They called Hogan's. And so when we go there, that's where we stayed. The boys and the men stayed in one, while the women and the girls, they stayed in the other one. They have showers out there. It's almost like kind of going to a camp. Uh, but, you know, this, if you used to like doing mission trips, you never, or even if you've never been on one, if you ever thought about doing a mission trip, this is one of the best ones I have ever participated in. We've got to go there, and, and especially we do need some older older people because they do grown-up work as I, I like to say it they just don't have the kids clean out somebody's yard and brush and paint houses and stuff when i was there there had been another youth group there before us who had framed a building for us i said last night it was a 40 by 60 building and i might be i might be exaggerating like a fish story you know but it might have been more like a 20 by 40 they had already framed it out, and I don't know if you can see it, but they had started pouring part of that concrete when we got there. And when we got there, they divided all the kids up in teams. Those who kind of knew what they were doing with concrete work stayed. The other ones did a fence work and some other stuff. And they always have lots of projects going on. One of the things that we did not do, and I don't have a picture of it that I saw on the website, they have re-roofed people's houses. My sons have never re-roofed a house. I have. I've got the experience. We need men and women who have experience. I was the foreman of this project, and I have only had two experiences laying concrete before, and they were sidewalk. Not a four, 20 by 40 slab. Especially tying into some work that somebody else had already done. Because I, to me, I would never have started something and let it dry for a couple of days. And, you know, we tried to break it up. But we, didn't, we weren't successful at it because all we had was sledgehammers, and that was very difficult. One thing I did have that was real nice, I had a girl. Her, her dad laid concrete all his life, and she had plenty of experience. And it was a joy and a privilege to have that young lady with us who was a senior in high school at the time. And so she was outstanding. And she knew exactly, say that again? Yeah, that's exactly right. She really wasn't from Sherwood. She came from Fairmont Park uh, in Midland, Texas, and was with us. And so I didn't know her. I developed a relationship with some of these kids that I would have never had developed a relationship with. I even de- developed a relationship with the kids in our own congregation that I would not have developed if I had not gone on this trip. This right here, you can see the slab being finished, and the people who came behind us framed it out, built it, and did the roof all of it. So you can see this, these are projects that he has going on all during the summer. And so we need more than kids because I say this because Eric 
would divide, I said this one, go divide us up. And he was going from one place to another place and was hoping that the, the men who were left behind knew what they were doing and can keep the, the kids on task to finish the job. Uh, some of the other projects that we had done, we went into the Lincoln National Forest, the fire department there in Flagstaff, had places for Eric to go that he could cut up the trees. He brings it back an hour and a half from Flagstaff to Tuba City, and this is one of his things that he would do during the year and during the winter months is sell firewood to the, the, the local people. This would help support his ministry, but it also he sold it very, very cheap so the people there in Tuba City could afford to heat their houses and cook their meals. And so we were the labor for him. We, there were even some, we don't have pictures, but we have other people who used his um, splitter, log splitter, and, and would chop up the wood for him. So here's a picture of another group that you can see. See, I've done this before. I've laid sidewalks before. So you can see a, a, a project that was started and finished in one week. And, they, and of course, they've cleaned up brushes in people's houses, and they've fixed fences. That's one of the things that we did while we were there. We woke up in the morning and had projects. And then in the uh, afternoons, we held vacation Bible school for the community. And he does this. Every time a youth group comes, they have a vacation Bible school to bring in the kids to help minister to the kids and get them used to the church. And that's my son on the left there leading and singing. Um, and then after, after we had vacation Bible school, we spent a lot of time doing either some local... Um, well, how can I say this? Culture. One of the things that we did, we went out to the middle of nowhere, and this was a ridge where we let the kids go out on their own and reflect on their lives and what God wants them to do. And then later that night, and I have a picture of this in a little bit, we went into a sweat lodge. We had the, the girls went in together, and they talked about what a sweat lodge was. There was like three parts to it where... You think about people who are outside of you, friends, not relatives, what's hurting them, and they prayed for them. And then they came in. Well, they left, and the boys came in, and then the boys left, the girls come in. And then they said, let's talk about your family, your, your brothers, your sisters, your mother and father, your grandparents. What's going on in their life? We all shared those experiences, and then we prayed over them. And then we later came in on the third time, and reflected on yourself. What's, what's going on in your life? What's hurting? And so we got to spend a lot of quality spiritual time with the kids. And they, they grew spiritually in the Lord. And so here was a... We went out in the middle of nowhere and it looked like it opened up like the Grand Canyon. It wasn't as big as the Grand Canyon, but it was a, it was a Grand Canyon, believe it or not. And they, they actually held a devotional that night in that Grand Canyon. Or, and then that's the... Um, that's the, the fire. They were getting the rocks ready for the sweat lodge. But we were sitting here, what can we do as adults? Because this is not really just for the kids. You know, what can I do to help? We needed people there to help cook. When the kids were out doing all the work, my wife stayed behind. And they made sure that when the kids got back, lunch was ready. And then we had supper ready for them when we needed to right after the vacation Bible school. We needed people to drive kids. We had three vehicles going to three different places. We need people there who kind of knows it. We never know what project is going on. You know, like I said, I wish somebody else had been, would have been there who knew a little bit more about concrete. 
I called people from back home in Lamp Passes, and guys who was in construction says, you know, I would have hired a cement truck. And he said, I would have too, but this is what you can do. He says, try it out. And, and of course, with that young lady there, I don't know what it would have looked like. I keep telling people, he says, I helped build that building. I'm expecting it to fall down one of these days because I was part of it. But I think that's what Eric, the minister that's there, that's what he likes. He wants you to bring your experiences and help these young men and young ladies develop the people who they are. And when then we're helping the community. They're learning what these people live like. And then we come back and appreciate what we have. And I set my timer for 10 minutes, and it's almost over. So I wanted to make sure I didn't run over. And I'm going to be here during Bible class to talk a little bit more about Tuba City. But one more time, if you ever thought about going, this is one of the best times because we got to do a lot of sightseeing. We've got to, you know, just delve into the culture of the Indians. And then we're going to help out a lot of people. And, uh, and I think the kids enjoyed it immensely and talk about it. All. My kids always have talked about it. I wanted to go back every year. You know, I was like, let's go back, Brandon. Yeah. And by the way, I am not a youth minister. Um, I am a school, kind of a school teacher. And um, I've always, like I said before, I've always participated with my kids. And uh, when Lance asked me to come and talk about it, I just wanted to share my passion of what's going on in here. You know, I I think highly of Eric for what he did. He gave up his life work, and that's one thing that we'll talk about. There's my timer. And I'll turn it back over to Doug. But I'll talk a little bit more about this during Bible class. All right. Well, um, thank you for sharing that, and you're going to share some more. I feel really bad because uh, you had uh, 10 minutes, and you you were spot on. And everybody here says, why doesn't Doug have an alarm that goes off and says, okay, time's up. You know, a couple of things I do want to point out uh, that Roger mentioned. Roger said, you know what, I, I, I really didn't know a whole lot about concrete. That's awesome. Okay, God's going to be glorified because he's awesome, not because you're really smart. So you can say, well, I don't really know. I've never been on a mission trip before. Or I'm not really good with manual labor. That's okay. God's got it covered. He doesn't want to take up a bunch of highly skilled workers who can come back and say, look what we did. He wants to take people who say, I have no idea what I'm doing. And then we can look back and say, you know what? That was God who allowed that building to be built. Uh, he also mentioned that, that Sherry, his wife, went on there. She didn't swing the sledgehammer. Okay, She wasn't running the concrete machine. She was uh, in there making sandwiches. So when the kids came in and they need to have something to eat, she had it prepared for them, and that was a great work. I, I would love to take a group of, of ladies or men who are a little bit older who say, you know what, I can't really swing a hammer. I'm not really good at sandwiches, but wouldn't it be awesome to have a resident grandma and grandpa who went there? Somebody who could apply Band-Aids, who could be there to show love and support so that we can do this as a family. When God instituted the feast, he didn't say, I want you to get a table for one and I want you to sit by yourself. He says, no, no, I want you to do this in community. And you can talk about these things. We've talked about over the last several weeks just uh, the blessing of being uh, with somebody else and having a shared experience. We recognize that not everybody here is going to be able to join us at Tuba City.
but everyone here can be involved. And I believe with all my heart that if we don't pray for God to work powerfully there, then there is no reason to send anybody outside of Hobbs. There's no reason for us to hop on a van or a bus and head that way with one person or a hundred people if not every single one of us is willing to say, you know what, we're going to pray that God's going to be glorified. And our prayer is that after we go to Arizona, we're going to come back and we're going to get to share some of those stories for all of you who have been praying for us and who have supported us and we can get excited about some more things that we can do around here. And most importantly, we want God to be glorified. May God be glorified in our efforts. We don't have a God of just the past. We have a God of the present and of the future. He's a God who we serve and whom we love and who He has given us an opportunity to serve with Him. For some of you, you've struggled in your past and we want you to know we have a God who cleans it. And we also have a God who gives us a future. And that's because of His Son, Jesus Christ. If you don't feel like you have a future, if you're struggling with your past, if you're stuck in the present, we want you to know we have a God who continues to make things new. And if you would like to know more about that, if you want to take Him on in baptism, we want to encourage you to come up here and confess your sins and take Jesus on in baptism and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Please do this. We stand and sing.